2: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, happy Thursday. You're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. We're going to talk about the news of the day and we have a special guest, Danny Nelson. Look at that guy. Coindesk's Ooh. Danny Nelson is here Will with Foxley us today. Here. And Will He's Foxley is here as, as well. Foxley. And Did Danny Nelson that? appears to maybe be dressed as Will Foxley in anticipation of Halloween, but it's a bit unclear. We just don't know what's going on. All right. Jen is here as well. She has the first story of the day. I'm going to toss it to her for that.
3: Jen, I mean, it's really clear to me, Danny. I think you look exactly like Will. You but really nailed it.
2: Is- the stakes are
4: pretty high for anyone who says that I don't look like um, the guy I say I look like. So you saw my
3: Netflix show, <laughs> it's right? That's true. Oh my gosh! All right. <laughs> well, let's, let's head on over to the Metaverse. So Facebook parent company Meta has missed their revenue estimates for the Metaverse division Facebook Reality Labs in Q3. They forecast those losses are going to continue to grow next year, The revenue for the division came in at $285 million down from the $452 million in the second quarter. We're looking at a loss of $3.7 billion in Q3. CEO Mark Zuckerberg, however, remains optimistic about this area of the business saying on an earnings call that it would be a mistake not to focus on the metaverse. Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you. I
1: think that we all could
3: have predicted.
1: (laughs) Get out of here. Get out of
3: here. (laughs) I'm going to let the two wills duke it out.
1: I'll put it up against Danny any day of the week. Okay, let's dig into this metaverse notion. It's been about a year since Mark Zuckerberg completely rebranded Facebook, changed the name, changed the sticker or the ticker on Wall Street. They changed everything about their whole platform, right? And how has that gone for them? Not so well. I think about as well as a sandbox token or any other uh, metaverse token that you've seen trading out there. It's not been great. And the reason for that is because I don't think it resonates with a lot of people at this point, right? The idea that you can pivot your entire business, this huge corporation that serves about 4 billion people through various apps like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram. That was a pretty ambitious. I don't know if it's working out. If we look at their stock price, it's about down 20% for the week which is not great going to Q3. We already know that a lot of these tech companies are also struggling as well, right? And why are they struggling? Well, well, the Fed has pivoted and stocks tr- turn to be, uh, you know, th- they fail when the Fed pivots here. Like we see interest rates going up and the first thing people dump is those risky tech stocks. It seems like Meta is sort of on the forefront of that. Zach, I'm gonna bump it up to you, get your take on this story.
2: Yeah, we had de- I, I'm having deja vu. I thought we talked about this story recently based on reports, based on sources that they're missing their target. So I guess this indeed is correct, some of those earlier reports. So the fact that this is happening, again, not entirely surprising. They're going to have to sort of uh, rein in their expectations. And unless more people are willing to look silly like Danny Nelson wearing an Oculus headset. Those well, numbers aren't I mean, going to be good anytime I'm, I'm soon. How's it looking the in future there? Here. I'm looking yeah, at the future here.
4: And does it, it look, doesn't like? look so. It doesn't look so good for Facebook in the short term. But, you know, if all these billions of dollars are really going to uh, look over there, are really going to pan out to something, then Facebook is going to be positioned to be, and Meta's going to be positioned at the front of the market. So it's a really big gamble. Right now, I'm just getting a headache in here. But in the future, and the, the investors are too, I got to say. But in the future, this might pan out to be a really big bet that, that paid off.
3: Danny, you're welcome back on the show anytime. It is not my decision, but so far this has been super fun. In that same earnings call that I mentioned in my intro, Mark Zuckerberg said he really believes that the future of work is going to be in the metaverse and people are going to be working in a mixed reality or virtual reality world. There was a conference recently where Microsoft's gaming CEO, Phil Spencer, spoke. And he said that he thinks that when people go to work in the metaverse, it's going to look more like a video gaming environment and not the environment that meta has built out. So we have some of these leaders in the gaming industry taking little jabs at Mark Zuckerberg and what they've built in compare in comparison to some games like Minecraft and, and Roblox. And I think that he's right. You know, the graphics we've seen so far from meta have been Kind of dismal when you compare it to to what's going on in the video game world. I don't know. What do you guys think? Nothing, eh? Just nothing.
1: Fine. They're fine.
3: You guys going to work in the metaverse? If we had to work in the metaverse, would you go?
1: Only the casino. Only the casino. Zach's sitting next to me. We'll play Blackjack together for a few hours.
2: We'll do it. it. Yeah. That's going to be great. It's going to be good stuff. All right. Let's talk about NFTs. Let's go to the NFT land. This is a story about NFT marketplace blur, but really, the story about tokens, the power of tokens to induce behavior among web 3 degens. We're seeing Blur give OpenSea a bit of a run for its money in terms of 24 hour trade volume. This is a marketplace, I think it launched fairly recently with a bit of buzz and of course a token attached to it. So we're seeing users get over there, pop on some NFTs, obviously to get some token rewards. Whether or not they can sustain this initial interest and this initial token harvest, that becomes a big question. We've seen it before with LooksRare and others. Is Blur going to be different? I'm going to toss it straight to Danny for this one. What do you think?
4: Absolutely not. I think that to- the tokens are always the same no matter where you go. Everyone wants to just harvest their tokens as fast as they can, then dump and move on. And I see no reason why this, this iteration won't be a repetition of that. Like We're, we're seeing all this volume of the savvy degens getting in, getting the money and they're going to get out and they're not going to come back that's just my two cents but uh well what do you think
1: oh uh, welcome two cents welcome to tokens there danny thank you for that i think we need to address one thing in the room and that's that we talk about a different nft marketplace every week on this show and i cannot keep any of these straight i didn't even know this thing existed and you know the last one we talked about i didn't know that one existed there's so many nft marketplaces and they're all racing for the same NFT peddlers how are they supposed to you know get any revenue? and I think that's one thing that we need to look at when we're looking at these volumes as well is that there's a race to the bottom going on right now looks rare, which is another NFT platform actually announced this morning that they are going to drop royalties for all NFT payments. They're coming up with a new creative scheme, uh, diverting protocol fees to NFT buyers and sellers and artists, but they're getting rid of the royalties saying that the growth of zero royalty marketplaces has eroded the general willingness to pay royalties throughout the NFT space. It's good news for traders, but with a big downside, the move away from royalties has removed an important source of passive income for most creators. So whenever I see some sort of NFT marketplace discussion, I think of these two things. The marketplace is so big. There's so many different names or so many different places you can list your NFT. And two, the royalties are going away. There's a race to the bottom. So it's not surprising to me to see that someone is coming up against OpenSea because it is a very competitive landscape and people move their NFTs to where they're going to get the most bang for their buck, especially during a bear market. So I expect to see more of this where we have more volume on different exchanges and then maybe six months, 12 months from now, consolidation based on who has the best economics. But Jen, we got to throw it to you. This This is your domain. Tell us about NFTs. This is
3: my domain. I love that there are so many marketplaces because I think it's going to force marketplaces to really focus on what people want and what's going to bring people to NFTs. Like you said, Will, there's like a handful of people who are trading NFTs who are doing this every day and they're kind of jumping around. I think the fact that there's so much competition now is going to force the marketplaces that want to stick around for a while to really work on solving some of those those problems. Like last year, we didn't have this many marketplaces and there were so many issues with the one or two that had that first mover advantage, but there was nowhere for people to go. So I think this is great. I think in a year from now, we are going to see marketplaces that really work, that really focus on that user experience and that are able to bring people into Web3 and achieve that goal that these marketplaces love to talk so much about in their marketing material.
2: It's all of blur and the brand really got it right. To Will's point, it's just hard to keep up with who's going to be the Uniswap of NFTs one day. All right, we're going to take a break. We are gonna hit pause on this show for a hot minute. And then when we come back, we're gonna talk about some other stuff. We're gonna talk about Kazakhstan, all right? Kazakhstan is in the news for a national digital currency based on the BNB chain. That is what we're gonna talk about and more on the other side of this short break.
0: Thanks. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which, until now, has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to CoinDesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host Cam's, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
4: So we are back here at the hash with a story of the cross between DeFi and CeFi like nothing else. According to CZ, uh, the CEO of Binance, of course, the National Bank of Kazakhstan is going to be testing its digital currency on the BNB chain. And that means that we're going to see a central bank roll out or at least test a rollout, of its fiat currency on a blockchain, which is crazy. It's, you know, it's BNB, so it might be a little bit more centralized than your run of the mill Ethereum or something like that. But this still is a pretty big moment for the BNB ecosystem and probably for that larger story of CBDCs more generally, just because we in crypto usually think about CBDCs and and DeFi is two rather separate things that might even be competing with each other. So Zach, I'm going to uh, roll it over to you. What's your take on this?
2: Yeah, the proof will be in the pudding, right? This is all a bit perspective at the moment, whether this is some, I don't know, private fork or of, of BNB or whatever that provides sort of a sandbox environment for this to be tested, I think it's probably, you know, open to conversation. We'll see what happens. It's not the first time that governments have worked with existing, you know, blockchain firms to test CBDCs. I know the Stellar Development Foundation was talking to Ukraine a few years ago about doing something similar. So we've heard some something along these lines in the past. So I think, you know, that's the first thing to say. We'll see what ultimately turns turns up from this from this news. But I think the choice of BNB Chain is is interesting. I mean, we saw some reports today from uh, Solidus Labs, which is a blockchain sleuthing firm, saying that some ungodly percentage of tokens on BNB are linked to scams. I think it was something like 12% of, uh, of the, the, the equivalent of ERC 20 tokens on BNB chain were linked to scam projects. So yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a head scratcher that, you know, Kazakhstan would go to this particular chain to do it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that this might, that doesn't mean that this might not work down the line. We're going to see what comes out of it. You know, it's going to be in the details to see if this really gets on its feet on BNB chain in a way that, uh, you know, harnesses both the power of a, of a public open blockchain network, and some of the security assurances that you would hope to find in a national digital currency project. So waiting to see how this pans out, if this ultimately becomes a thing, or if this is sort of a, a preliminary headline that kind of fades into the background. But I'm gonna toss it to Will, saw so his hand go
1: up. 12% seems low. That's my first point. 12% seems awful low, probably a little more scam coins on BNB chain. I think on most chains, if you can launch your own token, you're going to get a few scams out there. And I agree with you guys, I think this is a little odd to select BNB for this. And the reason being is we don't have a lot of regulatory clarity around BNB or a lot of these chains yet. And so I'm actually surprised they didn't go and pursue their own thing. Oftentimes, we see CBDCs built on purpose permission chains like Hyperledger or something like that. And so I'm a little bit bit confused why they chose to go with an open network that is supported by Binance. Second point to that is, Binance has had a difficult time or the last two months or so with BNB. They had that chain halt, right? After the large hacking incident. And that brought into question some of BNB's censorship resistance, being if Binance is able to unilaterally stop the chain for whatever reason due to hacking or something else, that might not be in Kazakhstan's favor. It might also be in Kazakhstan's favor, right? Where they can uh, issue some changes to the chain retroactively if something does occur it is a little questionable that they chose to work with them and not build their own chain. That being said, there are some benefits to working with Binance, right? It's the largest exchange on the planet, most volume, you're going to get the most liquidity. It's going to be very easy to onboard people onto this chain. Uh, we have a lot of reports that people actually use Binance. They use a Binance account as their bank account in a lot of developing countries. They don't have bank accounts with local branches of local banks in their, uh, their regions. They work with Binance directly on their, on their mobile phones. So this might be an extension of that Kazakhstan, just understanding who their product is and who their market is and deciding to build on top of Binance. Jen, I'll throw it down to you.
3: Yeah. Just to your last point there, Will, you know, I I think a lot of the time when we talk about CBDCs, we talk about privacy and trust and people not trusting the government. I mean, this could be Kazakhstan saying people trust Binance. And so why don't we partner with them and start working on that narrative of the CBDCs? So I I looked at this story and I thought about Binance and and the history of Binance and their ability to adapt to the market, to changing regulation and kind of come out on top and, and persevere even when I think a lot of the industry thought they weren't going to. I think this is an interesting business strategy for them. Maybe they're trying to prove out a use case that they can work with nation states on these CBDCs because they're looking into the future. And so I think it's an interesting four way to kind of diversify what they are already offering uh, and they've proved to be pretty strategic in, in their thinking. So I don't know. I wonder if we're going to, we're going to see more of this.
2: And, you know, Kazakhstan, right. Also sort of granted Binance a license to operate there. So maybe they're just trying to be, you know, a friendly, a friendly partner to, uh, to their presence in that country. And also Kazakhstan used to be a big force in Bitcoin mining. I don't know if it's still up there on the charts. I haven't checked that in a while, but certainly Kazakhstan has been in the crypto conversation for a while on a number of different fronts. Uh, so the fact that they're experimenting a bit further with the CBDC, uh, maybe, maybe not too surprising. All right. Oh, Will, what do you got?
1: Well, last point, and then I'll actually segue us to the next conversation. It's always interesting to me to see these developing countries or countries that you wouldn't think of being in the headlines for crypto, taking the initiative on CBDCs. We see some stuff with the US and the Fed. We see some stuff with the EU moving forward on things. But oftentimes, it's these countries that you wouldn't think of. And I think that's kind of a cool aspect of crypto that A lot of these these countries are able to take the initiative on building out the next frontier of finance just because the code is out there already and they're able to work with international partners like Binance. So I think that's a, a narrative watch, if you will. But let's move over to Core Scientific, which is having a rough day. As a disclosure, I do work with Compass Mining, which does have a relationship with Core Scientific. Core Scientific is one of the largest, that's actually the largest Bitcoin miner in North America, with about 30 exahash online between self mining and hosting. That's about 15% of the Bitcoin mining network, plus or minus a little bit. And as of this morning, they sent out a warning stating that they might not be able to pay some of their debts, that they're not making payments for October and November. This is a company that leveraged a lot of debt markets in order to grow during the bull market. And now they have to make payments on those debt markets while interest rates are going up not able to meet those demands. Same time, Bitcoin, not doing super great, around 20K, but Bitcoin has not been as high as it has been in the past. And then energy rates are also going up globally, which is pushing miners on both sides. As of this morning, Core Scientific's ticker is, uh, well, I keep saying that wrong this morning, their ticker is down to 30 cents, about 77, down 77% 77 on the day, which is pretty rough. I gotta throw it up to the other mining expert on the panel, Danny. What you got?
4: Where you get back to me later. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm, I'm just like, uh, Bitcoin's going up, man. So like, that's good, right? <laughs>
1: Give it to the Jen then. Give it to Jen.
3: Yeah, okay. I'll take it. So I, I think it's really easy to ask the question why mining companies weren't prepared for high electricity costs, coupled with Bitcoin's value going down. I feel like. I mean, I, we all know, I don't know a lot about mining, but I feel like if I worked at a mining company, these are questions I would ask. In the story, it says that they brought in financial and legal consultants. It feels like a little bit late for that. So much during this bear market, we've talked about preparing for a bear market, preparing, preparing for you know um, <laughs> catastrophic events or black swan events. And so it's just so surprising to me to read these stories and, and find that companies were so over leveraged so underprepared for something that was so predictable, especially when you work in an industry that is hugely dependent on electricity and, and the price of Bitcoin. I don't know, Will, I don't know if you can shine more light on that for me. Am I missing something here? Why, has this, why is no one prepared?
1: Yeah, I can provide some insights into this. And I think the reason is that Bitcoin miners are leveraged long Bitcoin they are always expecting Bitcoin to go up. They're the buyers of last resort for Bitcoin because they're constantly mining it, right? They're buying Bitcoin from the network in exchange for energy. And so you have to start these operations. You have to make future predictions about what's going to happen. And oftentimes those predictions are static, right? If you go and buy a machine, well, you're making a decision on what Bitcoin's price is going to be like in six months based on your information today. And as we know from really looking at Bitcoin, that could be anywhere you could be up you could be right you could be wrong but most of the time you're wrong like look at trading firms right we had all these lending firms blow up in april and may and june because they were leveraged long bitcoin and altcoins and they made a play and they were wrong and bitcoin miners are making also the same moves it's just a little bit slower because there's a they're not as leveraged as some of these lending firms were so i think if looking at it like from you know 10,000 feet it might seem like oh they made some poor decisions but at the same time, it's very, very hard to look at all these variables and understand what the future is going to look like in six to 12 months. And some of these firms were too aggressive. I think in this instance, we can say that Core Scientific was probably a little bit too aggressive. And now they're going to have to go through Chapter 11, possibly, or at least some sort of bankruptcy deal. They'll Probably come out on the other side of this, but they'll have to restructure just like we saw Compute North. That's why a lot of the successful Bitcoin miners right now are those who have been very conservative over the last two years. They didn't get caught up in all the hype cycles. And that's true of any crypto company, right? Anyone who didn't go leverage long their own product or leverage long at their underlying token, they're the ones who are no- normally doing okay at this point. Zach, up to you.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a perfect storm. And I think you kind of captured it well, right? You got uh, rising interest rates, rising energy prices, Bitcoin price down. Those uh, Confluence of those factors makes for some really painful decisions at some of these uh, mining firms that rush to go public during the height of last, last, market's, uh, last market's peak. So, the fact that we're seeing this play out, I think is a sad reminder that the volatility in this space does have real life ramifications for people and firms who are supporting um, the work of keeping these open systems running, right? So hats off to you, Will. I thought that was a good summation. I got nothing more to add besides well said. Any other last thoughts on this one? Will? Nada? Just keep, it, on down, keep on trucking, miners. Shut it down, keep on trucking, miners. We'll get there. All right, that's it for the show. Distressed stress miners. Danny was trying to make a, uh, a wardrobe change on the back end here, but we didn't, we didn't ultimately end up seeing it, unfortunately. But uh, there he goes. Mm-hmm. He just really brings that, he brings, like, he brings that wild wild card. He's a wild card. He really brings that, uh, yes. that wild boy energy to the hash whenever he appears. That's Danny. He's barely on frame. Uh, that's Jensen Assey <laughs> down below. She's great. We got Will Foxley, also great. I'm Zach Seward. We'll be back tomorrow. Check us out on the podcast network. Check out Coindesk TV later today for all about Bitcoin and go read some stories on the site, coindesk.com. We love that stuff too. Say bye, Danny. Bye, Danny. Nice. (laughs) Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
4: Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about.